very familiar passage. And then we'll read the answer to question 36 of the Shorter Catechism. That's on page 872, the back of the red hymnal. Romans 5, verses 1 through 8. Let us give our attention to the reading of God's word. He gives it to his people for our good. It comes with divine authority. And it is God's holy word. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. The grass withers and flower fades. The word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Question 36. We've gone through justification, adoption, and sanctification. The three central benefits of God's grace. And now the benefits that accompany those. So question 36. What are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? The benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, increase of grace, and perseverance therein to the end. It certainly makes sense to, to we who know Christ, to God's people, but for anyone who is paying close attention to Christians and the way Christians act, it must be one of the more deep and profound mysteries that they, God's people, are the most joyful people on earth. I uh, perhaps, maybe some people will think I'm young, I don't feel that young anymore, but it does seem like uh, from my own experience, Christians far surpass others in joy and in peace. C.S. Lewis said this, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. You live for God and his glory and his gospel. You live for the next world and all of a sudden this world uh, is accompanied by true and lasting joy. When this world is your ultimate hope, when this life is what you have your hope set on, when you are seeking happiness and fulfillment chiefly in 
this life, uh, you will not only miss that, but you will, of course, miss eternity as well. You can think about how many situations in which this is the case. I was called to, to, to help a man about a year ago, and uh, not from our church or any congregation, but was going through uh, a divorce, and it was clear that this marriage wasn't going to be saved, and so I, I was trying to get him to, to, to move into thinking about how this is an opportunity for him to, to find Christ and to, to find salvation, uh, salvation that perhaps he had never found or known or realized, but he could not break out of the mindset that the first thing he had to do was fix his life on earth, just couldn't uh, break out of that frame of mind before he could think about heavenly or spiritual things, before he could think about ultimate things, uh, he convinced himself he needed to fix his life on earth. So why he was aiming for earth, and he was going to get neither earth nor heaven. But those who live with these heavenly realities at the center of their life, of their minds, of their souls, these heavenly realities of justification, God has forgiven my sin, adoption, God has called me his own and made me one of his children, Sanctification, God is conforming me to the image of Christ. He's making me more like his son. He's uh, making uh, me more like his own character. Those who live with those heavenly realities at the center of their lives are given these benefits, these accompanying benefits that make them unlike others on earth. It's a wonderful truth that while there are those around us who live for this world and for themselves, they will never find what they want. But those who live for Christ, for the next world, for others, have a peace which passes all understanding. So we're going to briefly mention these several things uh, that come with knowing Christ on earth. These virtues, these graces, these benefits. As we look at these things, I want you to notice uh, just two points as we start out. All of these benefits, graces, comforts. They are all received in faith. So faith is a central principle to all of them. You see that how, how faith is central in an ongoing way uh, in the Christian life. That we continue to believe and trust and rest in the God who saves us and the God who keeps us and the God who fills our lives with these things. So it's a call to continually trust and rest in God and his gospel and his promises. And some form of sin is a threat, in fact, the biggest threat to all of these graces. What, what threatens your assurance? What threatens your peace? What threatens your joy? It's always going to be sin. So first, assurance of God's love. Assurance of God's love. Romans 5, verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What is assurance? It is a confidence that we are in God's favor. It is a confidence that the creator of this world has our best, our good in mind. That he is working it out. Assurance is grounded in the scriptures. It is watered by the Holy Spirit. And it is embraced by the heart of the believer. The Bible says that God loves you. That it loves the believer. That it loves, that he loves his people. And so the word declares that. 
the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, creates the necessary faith unto that declaration, that we would believe it truly and really. And the heart of a man or a woman rests in that truth. And this rest is accompanied by a a bliss of the soul. Uh, There is accompanying with, with assurance a happiness, a joy that would not be there otherwise. You think of the great hymn, He leadeth me, O blessed thought. And if God is the one who's in control of my life and he's doing it because he, he loves me, uh, that is a, a blessed thought. And I can go through this entire world, this entire life with that assurance and that confidence. In what are we assured? Where here it speaks specifically of assurance of God's love. We are assured that he loves us, that he works for us, that we are his people. How does assurance connect to justification, adoption, and sanctification. Justification is really the the cornerstone of assurance. If you did not believe that your sins are forgiven, if you did not believe that you had passed from an estate of sin and misery and into an estate of salvation, there would be no confidence that God is for you and that you are in His favor. So assurance is deeply connected to our justification, and the knowledge that we are forgiven in Christ. How does assurance connect to adoption? By faith, we grow assured of the reality that we are children of God. As we live the Christian life, we grow deeper and deeper into a sense of the truth that we are God's children. 1 John chapter 3 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. Beloved, we are God's children now. See what kind of love he's loved us, with which he has loved us. That we should be called the children of God. That we are to to grow more and more of a sense of how much he has loved us to make us his children. Romans 8 also uh, speaks even further of this, that there's there's an awareness that the Holy Spirit gives to us, a spiritual knowledge and awareness and recognition that we really are God's children. Romans 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The Holy Spirit bears witness, and that witness resonates with our own spirit, with our own soul. And there is an agreement there between who we are spiritually in the Holy Spirit, testifying to the truth that we are the children of God. How does sanctification connect to assurance? Well, as God conforms us to the image of Christ, as God instills a godly character deep within us through the preaching of the word, through the fellowship of the saints, through the sacraments, through word and prayer, our life of good works brings deeper assurance when we approach it properly. When we are convinced of the fact that what God is doing in us is his own work, by his grace, then we can know that as we grow more and more like Christ, we can be assured that it is the work of God. 1 John chapter 3, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. 
By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So assurance is deeply connected to all of those things, justification, adoption, and sanctification. There is an abuse of assurance. And the abuse of assurance is presumption. So here's where we start to see the way that sin threatens these graces. Presumption is very simply assuming or presuming that you are a child of God. That it doesn't spring forth from faith and humility and repentance. You are assuming that you are God's child. This is an abuse of assurance. Jesus says in Matthew 3, Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Assurance, of course, comes from God's work of spiritual regeneration. So there were sons uh, of Israel who were looking at Jesus and they were saying, well, we have Abraham as our father. You know, we, we're in the right genealogical line. And Jesus says that is presumption, sinful presumption. Oftentimes, presuming, what it does is it creates a life of disobedience. So those who would presume they are a child of God will do so as a way to excuse the discomfort that comes about from the life of sin or, or the fact that they would rather enjoy certain pleasures in this life and not focus on what the scriptures call us to. And therefore, what they will do is convince themselves that they are okay. So Romans chapter 2 says this, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. We are not to presume that we are a child of God when our lives are filled with arrogance and sin and disobedience and rebellion. Assurance comes from humility and faith and repentance. So, signs of assurance over presumption. Very simply, assurance is founded upon the scriptures. Is your assurance in Christ and your assurance that God loves you founded chiefly upon the scriptures? We believe what God says about forgiveness and the gospel, not what our own mind comes up with. So many people can convince themselves that God is like this and God is, is like that. He doesn't condemn. He, he's never going to send people to hell. We believe the Bible and not our own thoughts. Secondly, we fear. You have people who have assurance if they fear that which would take away their assurance. In other words... You are fearful of the fact that you know that sin could overtake you. And so you're careful about the way that you live. And you understand that if you live in a certain way, if you veer off the path of life, if you go far into rebellion, that you will lose assurance. You will lose communion with God. And you need to be aware of that. To to have the joy of spiritual life taken from you. And then uh, the need to refresh yourself in repentance And faith. So those have true assurance who are careful how they walk because they know that when they fall into a trap of sin, it will injure their assurance. And souls that have assurance always live in humility. Souls that have true assurance are always asking 
God, why did you save me? You certainly looked upon me and saw nothing of worth. You certainly looked upon me and didn't see something that would make you uh, think you needed to save me or you were obligated to. And so why was I made uh, to hear your voice? And Thomas Watson says this. Uh, the humble soul says, Lord, what am I that passing by so many, the golden beams of thy love should shine upon me. You can always point to the humility of the Apostle Paul as a wonderful example as well. Ephesians 3 verse 8, he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Paul, the one who certainly his whole life, largely in ministry, filled with prayer and with service and dedicated work for God, calls himself the very least of all the saints. Assurance. Secondly, peace of conscience. Peace of conscience. Romans 5 verse 1. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace of conscience is once again a confidence that proceeds from faith that we are at peace with God. In other words, peace with God leads to peace in our hearts. There is no peace like this in all of the world. If we believe and if we trust in these words, we will have a quiet and a rest of soul that is unlike anything else in the world. Hebrews 10 verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We can draw near to God. Why? Because we are at peace with him. We are not his enemies. In Christ we have been brought to him and reconciled to him. God is called the God of peace throughout scripture. He's called that in 1 Thessalonians. In the benediction that we give, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord give you peace. God is the God of peace. Christ has purchased peace. Colossians 1 verse 19. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. John 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. God the Father is a God of peace. Jesus Christ is the one who purchases peace. The Holy Spirit gives peace as a fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. The Holy Spirit then illumines our minds. The Holy Spirit is given to us in faith. The Holy Spirit illumines our minds and enables our hearts to trust and rest in the promises of the gospel. What separates a Christian from an unbeliever? It's that we hear the declaration, the good news of salvation. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we so believe and trust and rest in that. That it produces in our souls a quietness, a rest, an assurance. There is though a false peace. And a false peace is that which joins together this peace and sin. God has intended that peace would go together with a growing and advancing holiness. But those who uh, deceive themselves join together peace and a sinful life. In Hebrew there is a word that means both confidence and folly. 
And those who are wrapped up in conceit have a, have a foolish confidence. They are, they are self-deceived to be able to say, Jesus died for me, so that means I can live however I want. And Jesus paid for my sin, so it doesn't matter what I do. God doesn't care because Jesus has already paid the price. We know that Paul, the Apostle Paul addresses that quite at length in Romans chapter 6. So there is a false peace when we convince ourselves that God doesn't care how we live. But then we ask, why does not every Christian maintain a perfect peace? Right? We all sort of have varying degrees of it and, it, and it can come and go and there can be seasons of our life where we have a, a, a deep rest and peace and assurance in what God is doing and other times when it, when it is gone. And that's true. Christians may undergo intense spiritual trial for a time where, where there doesn't seem to be peace or where you feel that you are under some kind of spiritual attack. Christians may find sin in their hearts and under their own examination. And uh, oftentimes it can be humble Christians who are trusting in Christ, but they, they know that there is still a, a, a sin principle at work in them. And they, through that, rather, rather than throwing their confidence onto Christ, they convince themselves that they are not saved. Well, uh, I have this problem and I'm struggling with it, and so that must mean that I am not a Christian. What do we say to that? Well, the fact that you notice that sin in your heart is a pretty good evidence that grace is at work within you. The fact that you are fighting and battling against that sin in your heart is a good work that is a good sign that grace is at work within you, right? Dead things cannot fight. And so it may very well be that that is a sign of the life in your soul, but oftentimes Christians will convince themselves of that very thing. When we do so, when that happens, we, we must once again turn our confidence back to Christ. But it is true that Christians at times will leave their first love. They will cease to serve God with the same fervor and zeal and their peace leaves them. Oh, if I could just have that fellowship that I had with the Lord at that time or at that one period in my life. And so the call to all of us is to strive to keep this peace in our hearts by believing and trusting and resting upon God. Psalm 116 is a really helpful verse for this. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Why can you find a rest of soul? It has to be rooted in a trust and a faith in what God has done for you. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. You have delivered my soul from death and my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. So notice that there is a, there is a rest that is obtained and then a, a walking. I will walk before the Lord in this peace. Assurance, Peace and then joy. Joy. Romans 5 verse 2. Through him we have also obtained, that is Christ, through Christ we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance character, and character hope. 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If you go on and read in verse 11 of Romans 5, it says this, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It's important to notice in Romans 5, which is a very thick and important section of doctrine, that the Apostle Paul keeps coming back to the theme of rejoicing and the joy that fills the heart of the believer who grasps all of these things that God has done for us. So notice in Romans 5, you are justified by faith, that sets you at peace with God. Peace then gives birth to joy. Your joy flows forth from a sense that you are no longer at enmity with God and in Christ you have been forgiven. Faith receives joy. Again, once again, we need faith to receive the joy that comes through the gospel. Hope adds luster to joy. It makes it shine more. And this is really where the Christian life uh, comes to be set apart from all others in this world. We have a hope. We have a Christian hope. The fact that God will make us citizens of his kingdom one day. And so Paul says in Romans chapter 5, we rejoice in hope. So hope adds luster to joy. It makes it shine and sparkle. And then what sustains joy? Communion with God sustains joy. Romans 5 verse 11. We rejoice in God through Christ. So peace gives birth to joy. Faith receives joy. Hope adds luster to joy. Communion with God sustains joy. We see how all of that is centered upon what God does. But we must know, too, that it is our duty to rejoice. Paul says in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Once again, the biggest threat to your joy in the Holy Spirit is sin. Psalm 32, verse 4 says this, Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. Psalm 32 has other, it talks about the bones wasting away while you kept back your repentance. But then we confess to the Lord and then it ends in Psalm 32. Be glad in the Lord. Joy comes from having sins forgiven. Growth and grace. Romans 5 verse 4, endurance produces character and character produces hope. We are called to grow in grace. So there's that advance going on in Romans chapter 5. Uh, endurance produces character, character produces hope. There are things that we need to be uh, growing in and learning about and trusting in more and more in the Christian life. Second Peter 3 says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says his, his whole perspective on the Christian life is that he is working to attain the blessedness of knowing Christ in the resurrection from the dead. He knows that he has been set free by the gospel. He knows that he belongs to Jesus Christ. He knows that his uh, place in eternity is set and it will not be taken away, but he strives to know Christ more, that I may know him. 
and the power of his resurrection. And so those who trust in these things understand and know what Paul calls the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Right? God is, is constantly bringing us more and more upward. Growth and grace and then finally assurance. We have the hope of the glory of God. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. All of those who have been justified will be glorified. Paul looks with great confidence upon all of these things as he thinks about the churches to whom he ministers. So he says, he goes on to say in Philippians 1, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So there you have the growth in grace with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. He says something very similar in 1 Thessalonians 3. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And he goes on to say two chapters later, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The the apostle there, the inspiration of the spirit, gives this word to us so that we might live our lives with that same confidence that we can look forward to the day of Christ, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and know that we will be kept by his grace, and that at that day, those who know him will be found blameless and spotless, and our whole spirit and soul and body will be kept that way. Why? Because he is a God of peace. He is a God of love. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of grace. And so he gives us all of these graces, all of these blessings, all of these uh, wonderful benefits of knowing Christ on this earth. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the moments we have to think about these things and we pray that you will help us as we meditate on them and we seek, we seek uh, the, the help by your grace to believe and trust That by your grace, you can give us assurance, peace, joy, growth in grace, and perseverance to the end. We ask that we would be assured of these things and that you would build us up to show forth our confidence in these things in the week ahead. Prepare us for it. Keep us from temptation. And may we live to glorify you. In Christ's name, amen.